with you this morning. We're going to be in the Ephesians chapter 5. Okay, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, right? Ephesians chapter 5, and I'm going to slip my coat off. I've had a cold all week. Yeah, well, what is this? Keep an eye on me, Sonny. All right. I know you will, brother. Sonny calls me every couple days. I'm blessed by that, brother. Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to begin in verse 16 where we left off last week. And I, uh, I love this passage of scripture. This is just a short little wrap up this morning of this section. Uh, I think there's much more we could say here, but we'll have to come back to it later perhaps um, when the Lord allows. But as we look at verses 15 down through 20, of course 21 fits more with what we'll uh, start into there in that next section beginning in verse 22. But let's read verses 15 down through 20. We'll pray and get started. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making a melody to the Lord with your heart. Underline that part, making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, as we come this morning, um, I just um, pray your presence here in this place through the power of your Spirit. Father, that you would go above and beyond my simple words and speak directly to your people, that we would apply this passage to our hearts, that we would draw from it the encouragement that is there and begin to see, I think, what is uh, one of the greatest places where we can grab a hold of hope, uh, where we can grab a hold of the life of the believer, uh, where we can grab a hold of the understanding of the sanctification that comes as we work in your word and we live and, and work among your people. Uh, Father, as we become the church, you move in us in such a way uh, that you change us, literally change us. Help us to see those things this morning, Father. Help us to use those to glorify your name in this place. Help us to use them to bring more joy to each one of our days and more encouragement to each one of our lives, to bring laughter, to bring rejoicing, to bring thanksgiving. Oh, what a season for thanks it is, Father. We pray and ask these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. So this passage of scripture is, uh, like I said, it's been on my heart this week. And, and um, I, there's just so many things you can see here as it connects. And I, if you remember when we started in chapter 5, uh, with therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Paul's really working these walking um, topics down through chapters 4 and chapter 5, telling us, as he begins in chapter 4, the imperatives of what God's called us to. The chapters 1, 2, and 3 in the book of Ephesians 
tell us what God's done for us, the indicatives, and chapters 3, uh, 4, 5, and 6 uh, tell us what we are to do for God, the imperatives. And those imperatives in the Greek, uh, almost all of them are in the present active. That means that they're continually active, that we're continually to be practicing them. That's why he uses the word walk in so many cases. He's talking about our Christian life, our Christian walk, how we're to live and act and do here in this place. And one of the things that stressed on my heart this week is, and I just, I, I really, I have one proposition I want to make this morning. Okay, just one. Usually I have four or five, and I drag you out through an hour. But I just have one this morning. So it, if, if you do that math, we're going to be about 15 minutes. Amen. Do you believe that? Uh, no. <laughs> oh, I, I, I get a chuckle out of that, brother. Um, and that one proposition this morning is just simply this. A life of wisdom is a life of worship. Three times in this passage you see the word Lord. Three times. Let's read it again. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's lordship, salvation throughout this passage. Do you see the understanding of the word Lord? What does that word mean? What does it mean to us as Christians? What does it mean to say Jesus is Lord? Have you thought about that in your life? Jesus is Lord. What does that mean? Do you practice that daily? Is that a daily part of your ritual of your life, that Jesus is Lord? And I can begin to scratch on that a little bit this morning, but it means that everything comes under the influence of God's word and his Christ. Jesus is Lord over all of creation. He's Lord at this very moment. Scripture tells us that he sits at the right hand of the Father this very moment. And you heard me pray this earlier because when we gather together as the saints and the work of the Holy Spirit, as the Spirit moves in us, we are there present in the reality of the worship in heaven where Jesus is seated at the right hand of God until all of his enemies are made his footstool. He's not fretting. He's not worried. He's not complaining. He's not anxious. He is none of those things because the victory has already been won. When he left that cross that day to go to that grave, what did he say? It is finished, right? Amen? It is finished. And we live as a people who believe that Jesus has won the total and complete victory for us. Amen. And that we're just waiting this time for all of his enemies to put it, be put under his footstool. Now, we live in a world that is difficult, beloved. I, listen, I spoke to a guy this week, and uh, I heard something that I haven't heard for a while, and it just kind of caught me, and I knew I wanted to work it in here somehow this morning. I was talking to a fellow. And he knows I'm a pastor, and people tend to act differently around their pastor. I don't know if you guys have ever noticed that or not. <laughs> Billy, Gra or, yeah, Billy Graham talks about this a lot. 
um, how he was playing golf one day with Nixon, and uh, the folks that were golfing with him didn't know that who, exactly who he was, and they had started cursing and using different curse words when they would miss the ball or not hit a very good shot, and Nixon said, as he famously said, he turned and he said, uh, Brother Billy Graham, he said, uh, will you be preaching the gospel tonight? <laughs> and he said everybody had a different language the rest of the game, right? So sometimes, I, you know, I get that, and I totally understand that. I, I, um, and, I, you know, I like to um, account for that. But this, this gentleman was talking to me new as a pastor. And as situations normally do, and you just do this, we all do this, uh, the, the, the discussion became about political things. And he stopped right there as we got to that, and he hit just a little bit around the edges, and he says, well, uh, we just need to stop talking about that because we need to, you know, uh, we don't want to mix the politics and religion. How many times have you heard that, right? Have you ever heard that? That's the greatest lie from hell there ever was. It's to get us to drop our moral uh, understanding of Jesus being Lord. Uh, it's to get us to, to act differently uh, in the political sphere than it does in, the, in, the, in, in our living sphere of our Christian life. Jesus is Lord of the political sphere too, right? Um, just with me really quick, keep your finger in Ephesians. Turn back a little bit to Romans chapter 13. God made three spheres of influence in this world, the family, the church, and the magistrate. And Jesus is Lord of all three spheres. That way, that way we do not act differently in the political sphere or in the work in what I would call, a lot of people call the secular sphere or work life, than we do or would act right here in the church on a Sunday morning. Because Jesus is Lord, we should act in those spheres. And because he is, we need to act in those spheres the way that he would have us act. Verse uh, 1 of chapter 13, just to get these words kind of rattling around in your ears. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And I'm just going to stop at verse 1. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Do you see that? Jesus is Lord of our president, whether he recognizes it or not. Jesus is Lord of our magistrate. He is Lord of everything. And because of that, Paul writes in Ephesians, look carefully then how you walk. Not like an unwise person, but as a wise person. Every, I'm, what I'm asking this morning is uh, every born-again believer that's here, I think something desperately important to you uh, and to your life. How is your walk with Christ? How is your walk outside this building with Christ? How is your walk on Monday with Christ being Lord of all of creation? Your walk must not be a once-a-week walk. It must not be a once-a-week faith. It must not, must not be a once-a-week uh, recognition of Jesus as Lord, but it must be a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week understanding that Jesus is Lord. When somebody says something about abortion, you don't have to backpedal. When somebody says something about gay marriage, when somebody says something about sin, when somebody says something about whatever they say something about, there's no need to separate it because it is not separated. Jesus is Lord of that subject, no matter what it is. 
Why? Why do we need to be careful with this? Read the next verse, right? Uh, Paul just goes on. He said this life is, is what it is, and we need to make the best use of our time here. Verse 16, because the days are evil. Turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Don't know where Ecclesiastes is? It's right before the book of Isaiah. You have Isaiah, the Song of Solomon, and Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. The days are evil. And that is, um, the end of our life comes before we know it. The Bible tells us this, uh, that a man has had implanted in his heart the understanding of eternity and that the days here are few uh, they're like a vapor james would say they're here today gone tomorrow and i preached a funeral this monday and i kind of get full of this every time i do a funeral and because this passage was what it was this week i thought how indicative this man was 61 years old that is not old right and i can't say amen i gotta say amen to that 61 is not old and his life was cut down by cancer. He dealt with cancer for almost five years. And what I said to the group there grieving the loss of their father and their husband was that our priorities are immediately changed whenever the cancer is diagnosed. Life becomes much different, beloved. And what Paul is asking us here is to be wise about our lives now. Because the days are evil. And the evil days come upon us immediately in this life. We are to live as Jesus is Lord. And this passage ends in an encouraging manner in this. I think it kind of starts with a, you better be careful because you could be dead tomorrow and gone. And you will give an account for your life before the God of heaven. Because Jesus will be there at his right hand and he will judge you. <laughs> that day is coming quicker than any of us realize. And though you're ready in Christ, you're called to live a life here that shows that readiness, to be wise, to understand that Jesus is Lord. And I'm going to tell you as we get to the end of this that there is great strength and encouragement in that. But let's look at Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Did I tell you chapter 12? It's the last chapter in the book of Ecclesiastes. You know, I'm just really not following my notes or anything this morning. We're just kind of going... Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Before what comes? Before the evil days come. And the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. Now often we use this passage in a funeral dirge because this talks about the end of life. And these are all allegory for the human body. You know, one of the things I recognized early on in my ministry, you ever noticed how people, when they get towards the end of their life, they don't longer, they no longer have a desire for food. They quit eating. Listen, brother, whenever you've got to wear a, a perfectly grilled, barely medium ribeye is not wet your whistle, so to speak, you've lost your desires to live. That's what this passage is talking about. Understand, be wise, not unwise. Jesus is Lord, he's Lord of all of life. Life here is but a mere vapor. And let's keep reading in Ecclesiastes 12. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent, 
and the grinders cease because they are few. And those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors are on the street or shut. When the sound of grinding is low and one rises up as a, <clears throat> at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. If they are afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way, the almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home and the mourner goes about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl be broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel is broken in the cistern, all of these things are speaking of the death of the, of the mind and the, the heart and the eyes and even the teeth of the believer and the, of a human being as they age, becoming less and less useful. And the dust returns to the earth as it was, verse 7, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. And then he goes into verse 9, and he begins to tell us what is important before this stage. That what is the, uh, the, the testament of the whole life of the believer? And he starts there in verse 9, he says, Beside being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging with many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads. You know what a goad is? The goad was driven in the front of the ox cart, so if the ox began to kick against the cart, refusing to move, he would hit that goad, and he'd quit kicking and go forward. The words of the wise are like goads, or firmly driven nails, fixed, and they're collected sayings. They are giving by one shepherd. My son, be aware, verse 12, of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and of much study is a weariness of the flesh. Verse 13, he starts to sum it up in the last two verses. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether it is good or whether it is evil. What's he warning us about there? The same thing I think that Paul is in Ephesians 5. The days go by quickly. We're not to be involved with the things of the world. There's plenty of books to read. There'll be plenty of time to read them. Eternally, we'll have understanding that we don't have. And we can busy ourselves with many things here that are not important. We can busy ourselves with many things here that have nothing to do with Jesus as Lord. Paul's saying, look carefully then how you walk, not as an unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. I love this passage because it's the will of the Lord that we want to understand this morning. And the will of the Lord is just simply that Christ, that Jesus is Lord. Let's turn to Romans 12, 2, um, just back from Ephesians just a little bit. Romans 12, 2. Verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 
And 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says this, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Underline that. Repeat it to yourself. This is what God's will is for the human being in this place, is that they be sanctified. And you know what the word sanctified means, right? It has its root in hagios, or holy, that you be made holy, because it's in being made holy that you understand who God is. And in understanding who God is, you become wise. And in becoming wise, you come in contact more and more with the Scripture so that you know how to live in this world. And coming in contact more with the Scripture, you're coming into contact with what? We're going to see that in this passage later. The Holy Spirit. He says, be filled with the Spirit. That's what the Christian needs to be. He needs to be wise, to be in contact with Scripture, to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that he understands that Jesus is Lord and he can live his life putting away all the cultural rod, all the cultural sin, all of the things that want to degrade and pull us down as believers. We look out, we see it on the news, we see it in all of the surroundings around us, we see it degrading people we love. We see the lies go forth from the enemy, and they seemingly are not confronted. We see it all around us, and it would be really easy to get discouraged, would it not? Do you ever get discouraged when you look outside yourself and you say, man, how can I fix all of this? You can't. All you can do is take care of you. Walk as wise, not unwise. Know that Jesus is Lord and that you serve him, and your ultimate end is for his good, 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 good glory. And as you seek wisdom, you're going to do that in the Word of God. Do you remember what my definition of wisdom was? It's been down through this passage, and it deserves one more treatment. The definition of wisdom is just this, beloved, is that the knowledge that you have applied to reality in such a way that it causes you to live and flourish and glorify God. That's what wisdom is, and where does that wisdom come from? That wisdom comes from... From scripture, And as we interact with Scripture, we're being made holy. And as we're being made holy, something great is taking place in us that we don't understand necessarily. But we're being changed from one moment of glory, as it says in 2 Corinthians 3.18. We're being exchanged from one moment of glory to the next to be more like Jesus Christ. Oh, what good news that is. And it's the more we understand who Jesus is. And it's the more we understand that the word is working in us, a miracle that cannot be worked in any other way, that we're ready to begin to sing psalms. How many times? You could read this. Let's start at verse 17. Don't be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is. The will of the Lord is your sanctification. This is the will, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. This is the will of God, your sanctification. And then 1 Thessalonians 5.18, to give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you, so that you would walk in wisdom, know the will of God, be filled with the Holy Spirit, and worship. Listen, this goes back to my proposition. A life of wisdom is a life of worship. Whenever you seek the wisdom of God, you're seeking to worship God. You're seeking to make your life a, a continual living sacrifice to God, which is worship to him. Okay? And if you're continually worshiping the God that has created you, you're worshiping Jesus as Lord. You're giving over all of your life, all of your time. It's about him and not about you. It's about finding and understanding and illustrating who he is in your life to everybody that's all around you. It's about not backing down about any conversation. that It's never political. It's only and always about Jesus as Lord. 
whatever situation you get into, beloved, if you know the scripture, you will be able to defend Jesus as Lord because you will know what his will is. And it's in this interaction, in the interaction of scripture. I want to keep it here, verse 17. Therefore, don't be foolish. Don't spend your time in the world. And that's what he's saying in 16, 17, 18. But understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't be a drunk running around. You know, that's debauchery. But be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. How do we get full of the Spirit? By interacting with the Word of God. And when this happens, listen, the result of this is your life with God. And it begins in verse 19. It begins in verse 19. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart. How many times do we do that as Christians? Isn't that interesting? This is uh, indicative, I mean imperative, excuse me, present active imperative that we're to be addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is in the Lordship of Christ, that Christ is Lord, we're to live, such a, we're to live in such a way and wisdom that our life becomes worship to Jesus. Do you see that? That our life becomes about singing songs, addressing one another. Can you imagine going to the bank and being so full of the Holy Spirit that you're addressing people in psalms and hymns? And <laughs> They're going to look at you like you're not right, folks. They're going to misunderstand who you are, but you're going to be so full of the truth that God is asking you to be full of so that you can be wise. There you're going to contact the Spirit, and it's in the contact of the Spirit that you're going to be sanctified, and you're going to see Jesus as Lord like you've never seen Jesus as Lord before. Because anything that you're worried about this morning, anything that you're worried about medically, financially, I don't care what it is, whatever you're worried about, Jesus is Lord of that too. He has conquered this world. He sits at the right hand of the Father awaiting for his enemies to be made his footstool. And it's in the focus on that that we begin to understand that Jesus is Lord. What does it mean that Jesus is Lord? Because when we fully grasp a hold of that, we will not hold back in any circumstance to, to answer any situational circumstance that we may come in as Christians in a way that pleases Jesus. We won't. Turn with me, if you will, to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. I won't keep you much longer. We've missed the 15 minutes, but we're going to make it early, okay? Verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light is shining. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at harvest, and they are glad when they divide the spoil. Stop and look at the words. Look at the modifiers, the adjectives and the adverbs here. Let me read them to you again. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its what? I want you to have increased joy. They rejoice before you. I want you to rejoice before the Lord. As with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. 
I want you to receive, I want you to rejoice with joy as joy with the harvest and be glad as when the spoil is divided among you for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian beloved all of your villains uh, that are in your life have been overcome by the Lord Jesus Christ that's what this passage is telling us every boot of the trampling water and uh, warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Listen to verse 7. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Let me tell you something, beloved. If you believe that Jesus is Lord, you believe that Lord in this passage is Lord of your life and Lord of your situation this morning. Rejoice in that. Sing psalms. This is why I said the more wisdom you have, the more interaction you get with the Spirit, a life of wisdom is also a life of worship. Think about Noah. Noah, go build a boat. Noah spent 100 years building that boat at the derision of all of his neighbors because Jesus is Lord. Joshua went out to Jericho, not with the best fighting men, but with the doggone priest and the Ark of the Covenant, and some trumpets, because God said march around that city until the walls fall down, because Jesus is Lord. Do you see it's about a worship service? It was about the intensive 100-year life of Noah as he worshiped every day as he got up and he cut another piece of gopher wood to make another piece of that ark. It was about the intentional life of worship and wisdom. Even though it looked foolish to the world, every day he taught his son how to fix those, those, those timbers one to another so that they could build that ark while the whole world derided him. That's never rained before, Noah. Yet Noah worships. And so do we, beloved. If we believe Jesus is the Lord of these pages... Listen to this. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. If that is the Lord Jesus Christ, then he should be the Lord of our lives and our lives should be full of wisdom and full of worship. Amen? 1 Corinthians, let's just do a couple more of these. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That's in the New Testament, beloved. Let's begin at verse 19. <coughs> if you notice, this is in the middle of a paragraph break. That'll be okay. 1 Corinthians, verse 19. We're going to go down through verse 28. Paul's talking about the hope we have in Christ. He's undergirding it with the sovereignty of Christ. And because we're acted to be wise, we're, we're asked as Christians to be wise, we're not to be fooling around in debauchery, we're to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're to be accounting each day 
uh, as important because the days are evil. We're to take these things seriously. We're to have hope in this God. We're to live as if Jesus is Lord. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, uh, we are people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, beloved. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as an animal dies, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each his own order. Christ the first fruits, then it is coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power for he must reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet the last enemy to be destroyed is death for god has put all things in subjection under his feet him here or his here is jesus jesus is lord all things are under his feet but when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted, meaning the Father, who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. This passage leaves no shadow of a doubt that Jesus is Lord and that Jesus has won the victory and we're just in this interim period where we're seeing and we'll see everything, all rule, all authority, all of the evil will be downtrodden, will be defeated completely before our eyes and put under the feet, made the footstool of our Lord. That's what Paul's saying. Be wise how you live. Your life, if lived in wisdom, is a life of worship. Just a little bit further, go to the book of Daniel with me. Go to the book of Daniel. It's after Jeremiah, and then Ezekiel, then Daniel chapter 7. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel chapter 7. And just a medley of verses here. We're going to begin in verse... Twelve, thirteen. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. I saw in the night visions, Daniel writes, and what Daniel's getting ready to see is Christ when he ascended, right at the start of the book of Acts. This is just following his crucifixion, his resurrection, on the day of Pentecost, or excuse me, his resurrection and then his ascension into heaven. This is what Daniel is writing. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man. That's Jesus. And he came to the Ancient of Days, that's the Father on the throne, and was presented before him. In other words, Christ came before the Father as he's ascended back into heaven. This is also, Revelation chapter 4 and 5, when all of heaven starts to erupt in the worship and the praise of the Lamb that was worthy because he has won the victory, 
You remember here on earth, what, what had just happened is the crucifixion, and he held out his arms, and he said, it is finished. Then he was with us another 50 days. Then he ascended into heaven to be accepted there into heaven, and he took the scroll, the title deed of the earth, out of the Father's hand. John said there was no one that was found worthy. No, not one. They looked in heaven. They looked on the earth. They looked under the earth. And I know that Moses was there and David and all those great men and great women of the Bible. They were all there, but none was worthy. There was only one who was worthy, and that's the Lord. He is Lord of all. And he took the scroll. And this is where Daniel writes, seeing him. Okay? And what was presented to him when he get, took that scroll. And behold, verse 13, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man, and he was presented before him, and to him was given dominion, dominion, and glory, and a kingdom, look, beloved, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. It shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Do you see it there in verse 18? But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. Verse 22, until the ancient of the days came and the judgment was given for the saints of the Most High, and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Verse 27, and the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heavens shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all dominion shall serve and obey him. That's what it means that Jesus is Lord. That there's not one ruler, not one authority, not one person that is not under his will at this very moment in time. I assure you that Brother Paul had all of these truths in his mind as he began to speak these words. He said to the church at Ephesus, and he says to us today, look carefully then how you walk, because Jesus is Lord. Don't be unwise, but be wise, because Jesus is Lord making the best use of your time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. This Lord, Jesus, the one who has dominion and reign and power and sovereignty over all things, do not get drunk with wine, that's debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And how can we praise and live a life of worship? Because it's in knowing that Jesus is Lord. Nothing touches us. Nothing's going to ruin you, beloved. Why are we so afraid of words in those situations? We're afraid to be ruined by words. We're afraid to be thought of as too religious. But what he's saying here is be wise. Everything you say and do, because Jesus is Lord. This week when I, as I said, I did a funeral, and I, I just want to end with this passage today. Uh, it comes from 1 Corinthians 15.50. Paul writes, I think, some of the most comfortable words that I could ever read uh, to a group of people mourning the loss of their father or their husband. He writes in 1 Corinthians 50, if you'd like to 
follow along. 15, if you'd like to follow along with me, it begins in verse 50. He says, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trump shall resound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. And he goes on to say these amazing words. This corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. For when this corruptible hath put on incorruption, and this mortal hath put on immortality, then is brought to pass the saying that is written that death is swallowed up in victory. Beloved, Jesus is Lord even over death. Do you know that? I don't care what diagnosis you have. He's Lord over your diagnosis and your coming physical death. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, and then Paul goes on to mock the grave. This is what it means to sing and to relate to one another in psalms and spiritual tunes. Because we're so full of the Lord Jesus Christ and his lordship and control over all of this sovereign creation in our lives that we can be full of joy, that we can rejoice. And I'm telling you that every time you get in the scriptures, every time you interact with the wisdom that's there through the power of the Holy Spirit, your heart fills up with joy. Your heart fills up with the sovereignty of the Lord. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? For the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is in the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then what does he say? He leaves it like this. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be you steadfast. Steadfast. Understanding that Jesus is Lord. Live your life as a worship service. All of it. Whatever comes. Therefore, my beloved brother, be steadfast, unmovable. I like that. Unmovable. Be wise. Don't get drunk. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is never, never, not one minute of it, beloved, in vain when it's done in the Lord. See how Paul ties those truths together? Don't waste your time on worldly things. Not one minute's in waste of what you've done for the Lord Jesus Christ. Not. Amen? Amen. Let's learn to sing in songs. Let's learn to rejoice like Paul's saying here. I didn't even get to the Thanksgiving part. The Thanksgiving part is just the gospel, brother. You've been, oh, you've been saved. Your sins are put away as far as the east is from the west. Huh? You can live in freedom here and rejoice in Christ every day of your life. Do it. I love you. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we come to a close today, oh, your words penetrate our hearts, our hard and our stubborn hearts. We see this world and we get so worried about the things of this world that it pushes out our joy. Oh, I, I don't want to miss one moment of the joy of knowing that you've overcome the world, that even death is swallowed up in victory. What freeing truths these are, beloved. What necessary 
words for a dying community around us. Father, thank you for these beloved here this morning that love your word. I ask you to fill them with your presence this morning. Fill them with the knowledge that Jesus is Lord. Help us to live lives of encouragement, rejoicing, and triumph here in this place. Boy, do we have a world around us that needs to see how great our God is. Help us to sing psalms and to sing praises and to continually and joyfully rejoice in what the Lord has done and to continue in thanksgiving for what he's doing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we uh, come to the end of our service, I ask the men.